صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. I hope that you've missed me. I've missed you. We've got some great guests lined up for the next few weeks, so we look forward to bringing those to you. But I thought we'd just touch base on the current situation in Palestine. So much is happening there. First and foremost, sadly, most recently, we had the sentencing of UN humanitarian hero Mohammed Al-Halabi. Mohammed was a director of international Christian charity organization World Vision in Gaza. He was arrested in 2016. He was uh, taken and questioned for 50 days without legal representation, away from his family in a Israeli gulag. He was beaten. He was tortured. He lost hearing in one of his ears. Ultimately, they charged him with diverting millions of dollars of Australian taxpayer money to Hamas. Let's make it clear, this investigation conviction is entirely political. It's about criminalizing aid to Palestine. World Vision did an investigation. They commissioned Deloitte's. They spent millions of dollars getting Deloitte International to do an investigation. Our own Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, DFAT, found no evidence that money had been taken. This is a complete and utter fit-up. He's been convicted and sentenced to 12 years. An absolute travesty, a tragedy. The main evidence used by the Israelis was an alleged confession to... uh, an unrecorded confession, we should also say. An unrecorded confession to an alleged cellmate. I mean, you know, if they had nothing to hide, they'd expose it. But the criminality of the Israeli justice system when it... uh, prosecutes a Palestinian is laid bare for the entire world to see. The absurd thing about Mohammed al-Halabi's trial and complete another fit-up is he was charged with diverting some $50 million over several years. The sum total of all the aid given to World Vision is nowhere near $50 million. One of Mohammed's managers said, it is completely incomprehensible given that nowhere near the amount of money was committed to the programs in Gaza in the 10-year period in question. Muhammad turned down numerous pleas. He was offered freedom if he just pled guilty. But he knew, he knows what the Israelis want to do. They want to criminalize aid to Palestine. He's refused to admit guilt. And so they've had to manufacture this confession and uh, manufacture this conviction. Following the sentencing of Muhammad, the European Union said that it regretted it, that the outcome of a judicial process which has been incompatible with fair trial standards. I mean, we know how mealy-mouthed the EU and the US can be. That's pretty strong condemnation of this complete and utter travesty and justice. Sadly, we've seen nothing uh, of any substance from anybody in the world. 
World Vision said some great statements. Tim Costello was in the Canberra Times uh, a week ago, and he said, this is a slur on the Australian government, given the false claims of the Israeli government that he stole Australian taxpayers' money and the false conviction. They are a slur on the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and Australia's reputation. It's a profound injustice, and it should be called out. Mohammed's lawyers have already said that they'll be appealing the sentence. I mean, he's already spent six years away from his family. It's just absolutely sickening that the Israelis can get away with this. We're hoping that amnesty might make Mohammed al-Halabi a prisoner of conscience and that might elevate his status. World Vision went on to say, We have not seen anything that makes us question our conclusion that Mohammed is innocent of all charges. We support Mohammed's intent to appeal the decision and call for a fair and transparent appeal process based on the facts of the case. To their great credit, World Vision has funded his defence to this point. One hopes our new Foreign Minister, Senator Penny Wong, will say something a bit more firm with respect to Mohammed al-Halabi and with respect to the six, and we'll talk about those in a second, six Palestinian NGOs that have been deemed terrorists by the same Israeli, quote marks, justice system. Just over a week ago, Israel raided seven organisations in the Ramallah area and in other parts of East Palestine. Shortly after, the Israeli military commander rejected an appeal that was lodged by these organisations against being designated as terrorist groups. The Israelis claim that these organisations are just a front for the popular front for the liberation of Palestine. The reality is that they're human rights organisations that forefront Palestine, Palestinians and the stories of Palestinians suffering the oppression of apartheid under Zionist control. The apartheid systems of control over the Palestinians in particular, Defence for Children International Palestine documents the stories of children who are taken from their homes in the middle of the night as young as 12 years old, blindfolded, handcuffed behind their backs, taken to Israeli gulags, questioned in language they don't understand, taken to court where the conviction rate is 99%. The only other place on earth where we see conviction rates like that is in China, and particularly within Tibet. But as we know, to accuse China of having such a high conviction rate would be seen to be supporting democracy, but suggests that the Israeli courts are apartheid instruments of terror is to invoke the slur of being an anti-Semite. The reality is that these organizations forefront Palestinian work, and as with the conviction of Mohammed al-Halabi for helping Palestinians, the criminalization of aid to Palestine has uh, had a really chilling effect on international aid into the Palestinians. Well, so too with these seven uh, NGOs. By designating them as terrorist organizations, it makes it just that much harder for them to fundraise and to do their work. We know that they're not terrorist organizations. What they are doing is telling the truth. And for Israelis, the truth is terror. For the Israelis, truth is is terror. These soldiers, uh, aside from sealing shut the front doors, they stole equipment, they took files, they took computers, they took very sensitive information with respect to uh, children's psychological reports as well as women's psychological reports. These groups have been targeted for decades. They've been targeted for decades because they tell the truth. There's also a belief that some of these groups were targeted because of the evidence they supplied for the International Criminal Court's investigation into Palestine. As we know, the US and some of its allies, Australia, under our previous government, supported the notion that Palestine should not 
have a hearing in the ICC that it had yet to fulfil the status of being a state, even though it is a signatory. Um, thankfully, that was overturned and the ICC did open up an investigation. Sadly, that has stalled. But these groups are targeted. In particular, uh, Al-Haq and Ademir and Defence for Children International have provided quite a bit of evidence. The sickening thing is the person who signed off on this uh, designation is General Benny Gantz, who himself is a war criminal. He's the Israeli Defence Minister. This man is noted as a person of interest in that ICC investigation. The Guardian reported that a classified CIA report shows the agency was unable to find any evidence to support Israel's decision to designate the Palestinian groups as terrorist organizations. And they're not all alone. The EU also came up with a similar report. Multiple European countries said they did not find any evidence to support the claim. In America, even Zionist groups such as Americans for Peace Now and J Street, the New Israel Fund, are urging the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, to address Israel's persecution of Palestinian civil society. We know it's a fit up, but the reality of the way the politics around Israel works is Israel alleges nobody really says anything to milly-mouthed condemnations, world goes quiet, everybody forgets, but in the meantime, the Palestinians on the ground are the ones that suffer. A change of pace, a little bit of music. I've been meaning to play this piece for some time. It's by Farid al-Atrash, my father's favorite Egyptian singer. It's called Taksim al-Oud, which roughly translates into freestyling on the hood. The oud is a lute-like instrument that is very popular in Arabic music. It's got something between 10 and 12 strings, and the sounds that come out of it can just be remarkable, particularly by a magician like Farid al-Atrash. This piece was recorded in a concert not one month after I was born in April of 1970. Sit back and enjoy it. I'll be enjoying it, reminiscing about times I sat down with my father as we listened to it. Taksim al-Oud, Farid al-Atrash.
amazing. Farid al-Atrash, Taksim al-Oud, still brings tingles to my spine. The actual concert's a couple of hours long, but that actual section is something like 20-odd minutes. I'll put a link to it in the podcast if anybody's actually interested in watching it. It's very grainy footage, and the music's been remastered, though, but he was a brilliant musician and certainly brings back a lot of memories of time with my father, and I'm sure my mother and brothers will enjoy it, too. Now, listeners, I hope you're sitting down for this one. You might be a little bit surprised by this next bit. Israel claims now, Israel claims there's a high possibility that they may have killed Shireen Abu Akhla. As we know, the famous Al Jazeera journalist, voice of Palestine, American citizen Shireen Abu Akhla, was assassinated by Israeli forces. This is the result of an investigation that was released just this week. As we know, witnesses who were there, numerous investigations by the United Nations, other human rights groups that they were all conclusive that the Israelis shot her. The report went on to say, it is not possible to unequivocally determine the source of the gunfire which hit and killed Mrs. Awakla, but it remains a possibility that she was hit by bullets fired by armed Palestinian gunmen. After a comprehensive examination of the incident, based on all the findings, the military advocate general found that under the circumstances of the case, there is no suspicion of a criminal offence that justifies the opening of a military police investigation. The sickening thing here is this she was assassinated by a soldier with a high-powered rifle using a telescopic sight. She was wearing a vest that had press emblazoned on both sides. She was wearing an army-style issue helmet to protect her head. She was shot between the vest and the head a couple of hundred meters from where the Israelis were positioned. This was a sniper shot. There is no question that it was not done by mistake. It was calculated and the execution occurred. Just to reiterate, there were multiple investigations, including the PA, the United Nations, CNN did a report as well as the Associated News Agency, and they all found that she was definitely and definitively shot by Israelis, though the Israelis continue to obfuscate as to uh, returning fire from Palestinian sources of gunfire. All of the footage of the incident, the reenactment, the audio of all the sounds prove that there was no Palestinian fire. Further, we're hearing from Palestinians that none of them were contacted by the Israelis, not any of the Palestinians that were next to Shirin Abu the other journalists that were shot and the medics that were nearby. None of them were party to the investigation. It goes to the Israeli justice system and with as much sarcasm as I can muster back to the Israeli justice system that can convict Mohammed al-Halabi on some fake confession and can have an investigation into the assassination of an American citizen, an American citizen, a Palestinian Shirin Abu Akhle, that they wouldn't even speak to anybody there. Allegedly, the US government is going to continue to seek answers, but, you know, we won't hold out much hope there. And Shireen's murder assassination is nothing new for Israel. At least 46 Palestinian journalists, 46 Palestinian journalists have been killed by Israeli forces in Palestine since 2000. I'm going to take you through a chronology of Israel's changing statements in the 115, 120 days since Shireen was assassinated. But this is the level of obfuscation and denial that exists within the Israeli army when it comes to public scrutiny as to their policies. 
It cannot be unequivocally determined who shot her. It needs to be said that there were both IDF soldiers and Palestinians at the scene. The most likely scenario is that a soldier mistakenly fired the shots while he himself was being fired at. The shots were fired while they were in an armoured vehicle and the soldiers responded by firing back at numerous targets. It's possible that Shireen was accidentally shot during this. Let's talk about Israel's pattern and their public relations style. You know, first thing they've got to do whenever they need to manage a public relations disaster, and a public relations disaster necessarily is too much Palestinian blood, too much brown blood has been spilt. The Western world can't turn their eye. So the first thing we've got to do is, we haven't heard reports of deaths, we'll check, we'll look into it. Yes, there were people killed, but it, the fault of the Palestinians, rockets and bombs... Okay, we killed them, but they were terrorists. Okay, they were civilians, but were being used as human shields. Okay, there were no fighters in the area, so it's our mistake. But we kill civilians by accident. They do it on purpose. Okay, we kill far more civilians than they do, but look how terrible other countries are. Why are you still talking about Israel? Are you some sort of anti-Semite? This is the seven-point Israel style of public relations. And if we have a look at it, how it planned itself out in official Israeli statements. In the hours after Shirin's assassination, Israeli Prime Minister tweeted, It appears likely that armed Palestinians were firing indiscriminately at the time and were responsible. Within a day, the Israeli government starts sharing videos showing some Palestinians shooting wildly somewhere in Jenin at some point. A couple of days later, the Israel embassy in Washington posts then deletes a tweet implying the video shows the actual Palestinian who killed Shirin. A day later, Israel's government stops saying that Palestinian gunmen were likely responsible. Instead, the PM's office puts out a statement condemning hasty accusations against Israel that are being made right now. A couple of days later, the IDF raises the possibility that Shirin was in fact killed by an Israeli soldier. It says that the soldier was aiming at gunmen near Shirin. To this day, the IDF has not presented any evidence that she was standing anywhere near a gunman. Israel's position is now that it's not clear if a Palestinian gunman or an Israeli soldier killed Shirin Abokla. Much of the messaging focuses on the refusal of the Palestinian Authority to agree to a joint investigation. The PA says it doesn't trust Israel to conduct a fair probe. In the weeks that follow, several independent media outlets and human rights organizations conclude that Shirin was killed by an Israeli soldier including the New York Times, they did an investigation. In early July, the US government says it too believes that Shireen was killed by an Israeli soldier. It says there's no evidence she was deliberately targeted though. Israel's position remains that it's unable to say if an Israeli soldier or a Palestinian gunman fired the final shot. On September 5, two months after the US statement, and 117 days after she was assassinated, Israel finally acknowledges that Shireen Abu Akhla was killed by one of its soldiers. The new cycle has moved on, we're all looking at the next event, and the Israelis, the Zionist terror organization, has succeeded yet again in Israeli propaganda, Hasbara, public relations 101. The world has forgotten about Shireen Abu Akhla, although we haven't. There can be no doubt to anybody that's seen the video of her assassination that it was the Israelis and it wasn't accidental. So much so that we can conclude that it's a deliberate attack because even while she was laying dying, wearing her press jacket and her helmet, Palestinians went to try and help her, and they were shot at. Her colleague and another Al Jazeera journalist, Daniela Samoudi, was also wounded by a bullet in the back at the scene. 
Of course, we won't forget Shireen, neither will her family, nor will their fight for justice end. Shireen's family released a statement following this Israeli report, if you will. Today, the Israeli government and military released a statement that tried to obscure the truth and avoid responsibility for killing Shireen Abu Akla, our aunt, sister, best friend, journalist, and a Palestinian American. We've known for over four months now that an Israeli soldier shot and killed Shireen as countless investigations conducted by CNN, the Associated Press, the New York Times, Al Jazeera, Al Haq, B'Tselem, the United Nations and others have all concluded. And yet, as expected, Israel has refused to take responsibility for murdering Shireen. Our family is not surprised by this outcome since it's obvious to anyone that Israeli war criminals cannot investigate their own crimes. However, we remain deeply hurt, frustrated and disappointed. Since Shirin was killed, our family has called for a thorough, independent and credible US investigation that leads to accountability, which is the bare minimum the US government should do for one of their own citizens. We will continue to demand that the US government follow through with its stated commitments to accountability. Accountability requires action. We continue to call on the many members of Congress, civil society organizations, journalists, and the public to keep the pressure on President Biden and Secretary Blinken to follow through with meaningful action. Since Israel is incapable of holding themselves accountable, and we also are pressing for a full international criminal court investigation and trial, Israel's killing of our dear Shirin cannot be swept aside. No other family should have to endure what our family has had to. We cannot and will not stop until we have justice for Shireen. Thank you for your support. Now, we haven't actually spoken about it, but the reality of the investigation into Shireen Awakla, the investigation into Mohammed al-Halabi, speaks to the duplicity of the legal system that exists within Israel. What we're talking about is two systems for two people. Now, we know too well that Israel is an apartheid state. And just recently, they waved the flag again to say, have a look over here. We really, really are an apartheid state. Just this week, the Israelis released a new set of policies that dictate that foreigners must tell the Israeli Defense Ministry if they fall in love with a Palestinian in the West Bank. Further, if they marry them, they're required to leave after 27 months for a cooling off period for at least half a year. This is only the beginning of tightening of rules. Palestinians NGOs have been commenting that Israel is taking things to a new level. The document is some 90 pages long and details exactly what has to happen. They demand foreigners inform the Israeli authorities within 30 days of starting a relationship with a Palestinian ID holder. Over and above that, new restrictions on Palestinian universities, including a quota for 150 student visas and 100 foreign lecturers. These are all apartheid policies. And the reality is, we know this is about demographically engineering Palestinian society and isolating Palestinians from the outside world. They're making it more difficult for Palestinians to come, connect with their brethren and their sisters, connect with their land, connect with their ancestral homes. It's Apartheid 101. In the same week that Israel imposed these new Apartheid regulations, and remembering, these apartheid regulations sit on top of so many other layers of apartheid, where we can live, where we can go, the permits, the control, the tax system, the radio spectrum, whether we can use 3G, 4G or 5G, entry and exit, birth registry, death registry. Palestinians sending mail lick a stamp with the Israeli president on it. Apartheid 101. 
Amazingly, even with this new rollout of new apartheid laws, and we know Israel doesn't back down very easily, but they push as hard as they can, as far as they can, to dehumanize and disconnect Palestinians from their ancestral home. That amazingly, amazingly, this week, Israel has revised those protocols for entry. The latest guidelines drop the requirement that foreign passport holders declare romantic relationships. It also does away with that academic quota. It's not because they're good guys. It's because they got caught in the shop stuffing the turkey into the bag. They got caught red-handed, so blatantly racist, so blatantly apartheid-like, that they had to actually change the law in the same week that they introduced it. Now, don't let anyone, I'm sure none of our listeners, other than some of our monitoring Zionist friends, I'm sure none of our listeners believe in the benevolence of Zionist occupation of the Israeli regime. The fact is, they got caught with the hand in the cookie jar gone too far. The fact that they've pushed back or rolled back these policies is not something to be applauded. Rather, we should be looking at the psychology, the superiority complex that says that they can dictate who falls in love with who, how they should display that love, how it might look, who can come and study, and who can come and lecture. Just an absurd, absurd case of apartheid. The rollback will be implemented on October 20 and will roll out for a two-year pilot period. Let's see what happens on day 731. And just a very quick update as we finish the show for, for this week. For those that follow international Palestinian news, you might have heard of Farah Maraka. Her and about half a dozen other Palestinian journalists were dismissed by Deutsche Welle in Germany. She took them to court and she just won her lawsuit. The European Legal Support Centre said that this decisive victory suggests that the court recognized that Farah's termination, based on a controversial investigation and unfounded allegations of anti-Semitism, related to reports published before her employment contract was illegal. Deutsche Welle was ordered to reinstate her and pay all of her legal costs. Look, that sends a clear message to everyone. Your fake accusations of anti-Semitism to stifle the discussion, the debate on Palestinian human rights, on justice for the Palestinians, won't be accepted anymore. Palestinians are going to stand up for their rights and they're going to fight for their rights. The smear, the false smear of patently politicized anti-Semitism must not be countenanced, including the flawed IHRA definition of which was spoken out before. Listeners, we're hoping to have Farah Malaka on the show in the coming weeks, months. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share the podcast. Tell your friends. And remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.